This is 99th episode with Sean and Paul. My wife had to knock the nest down and she put up uh, like a fake face to scare them off. And that stopped working. So we had a, like I basically just stapled paper bags up and they used so that way there was no space for them. And that, that's pretty much worked. All right. That's the excitement of uh, dealing with birds. That's, man, this is really good content. <laughs> 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 now you all know what to do if you ever move somewhere that birds are actually annoying. Yeah, I don't have that much of that problem in the city. I just have to worry about every now and then a cockroach getting in or something like that. Yeah, yeah, cockroaches building nests are also problematic. <sighs> so what is new? That is a great question, man. I have been just like staying inside and not doing much of anything. Because of the whole global pandemic going on. So yeah, I've been trying to find my entertainment and uh, things to do on my own. So I've just been trying to read them comics, listen to music, stuff like that, uh, play some video games. And I've just been kind of continuing on with all of that. Yeah, that's, that's pretty much how it is out here. But Maine is one of... At the moment, I believe two states that actually have declining numbers. So it's. Um, oh, you're lucky. Yeah. It's, you know, I mean, it's smaller population than in some states. Of course, people are a little more spread out. That helps. But I'm definitely glad to be here. <laughs> oh, L.A. County is not exactly the, the greatest place to be for this right now. It's definitely um, a hot spot. Yeah. All of Southern California is. And one of the reasons I love Southern California is, I mean, aside from the fact that it's expensive and crowded, is the majority of people, they're more concerned about what they want than about anything else. And that's pretty problematic when you have a pandemic and people are more concerned about, well, I want to be able to do what I want to do, or I don't want to have to wear a face mask or things like that. I mean, you get that everywhere, but a lot less people here. Yeah, it's easy, I think, to get into the rut of just saying, dang, people, why can't you all just wear a mask? But then I was just listening to a podcast that talked about how historically in America, there's always been problems with enforcing public health laws. Everything from, like, wear a seatbelt in your car to no smoking inside in restaurants. Yeah. You know, there's always been a huge amount of resistance or wear a helmet when you're riding a bike or a motorcycle. All of these sorts of things have always been met with, you won't take away my liberty, even though it's not really that big a deal and is going to save lives in the long run. Exactly. And what's funny is you see everybody now bringing up those examples as, you know, well, all these things matter and we, we do them, but like this thing doesn't matter. But that is exactly the example of all these things matter and every like people refused to do them and it took time and eventually people did them. But it like every example that, that you know people will pull out to showcase like important health safety things that we now do as an example of like what actually matters but wearing a mask doesn't matter just defeats their own argument, but it doesn't help with, with the argue like with pe- helping people understand when they realize that because they don't want to understand it. They just want to argue. So then yeah. they just kind of ignore mm-hmm. it anyway as well. I still don't want to blah, blah, blah. But Yeah, I know. Whatever. We we actually, so Sammy hasn't done anything. You know, my son, he's actually, he's turning eight in a little over a week now. I just had my birthday and turned 37 yesterday. Happy birthday. Thank you. You're I, almost an old man. Almost. I'll get there eventually. I'm working on it. Uh, yeah. I started reading manga. I think uh, that that's a sign of being old. I don't know. A lot of old or, people or extremely mother. young. You're either yeah. old or uh, like a 14 year old girl. <laughs> One of the two. <laughs> yeah, I'm actually. You know, it seems like a lot more people read manga now than used to. Like when I was younger, it was a lot more niche. I think there was a big explosion of it when we were probably in our 20s. I think that's when manga seemed like it started to really catch on. And that's when I think I started to see when I would go to a Barnes and Noble, for example, that there would be a manga section yeah. and that there would always be anywhere from like one to two to half a dozen kids just sitting around reading the manga that was there. 
Yeah, like we have this local chain called Bull Moose. It's um like it's a, a music chain, but they they also they sell like all kinds of media. So they you know music stuff, of course, uh, movies, video games, and. I still remember when they started selling books and their book section was very scarce and it's expanded and expanded. And it wasn't even until very recently that all the locations sold more than like kind of a small token sec- you know, selection of new books. Like some of them didn't even take books as trade yet. Now they all do. Um, you could, you know, trade stuff in and either get cash or store credit for it. And like, that's where I started getting into comics. Really? Uh, we moved to Maine and, I had been dabbling a little bit in stuff, but I was going to Bull Moose because everything was at least 30% off. You know, I could pick up a trade paperback and it'd be 30% off, but a used one would be super cheap uh, because it would be, like, much more discounted from, like, what they would sell it for anyways. So, oh, great nice. way to get books. But, like, manga was almost nothing. Like, they, they had very, very little. And now uh, the manga section is pretty much i i believe it's actually as big as the the like traditional comics section that's what i notice in bookstores i think there's just there's so much variety with stuff and you know i think kind of like comics are more acceptable because of the the proliferation of comic book movies so now the characters are more acceptable so mm-hmm. you know it's like it's like when i was a kid growing up and i was into wrestling you couldn't find anything and you know you were like ostracized if you like wrestling pretty much like I learned to keep my, my, you know, what mattered to me to myself because let me tell you, it hurts as a kid when you really like something and then an adult just kind of mocks you for it. Oh, um, yeah. So good lessons there, asshole adults. Um, <laughs> but uh, that's that's not laughter out of funniness. That's <laughs> laughter out of pain. Yep. It's everybody. Everybody knows what that's like. Uh, my cousin. I, so I'm going to my cousin's tonight to watch wrestling, actually. And he was the personality that he didn't give a damn what anybody thought. So like he wears his wrestling love on his sleeve, literally like he has tattoos of like NWA and stuff like that. Um, but he's a huge wrestling fan and has never hidden it. Whereas like I grew up being a huge wrestling fan and keeping it to myself pretty much. I think it's the same thing though with, with comic books that was a big step closer to being, you know, socially acceptable to where people didn't think twice if you liked it or not. And I think manga yeah. just like it just took a little bit longer to get there, but you know, there being more mainstream anime uh, and stuff like that is probably what made it more, you know, start start to grow in the public conscious, I guess. But I don't even remember where this all tangented off from. But uh, the question I've got then, you, you say you're reading more manga. What are you reading? So That's, I think question number one. As I take a sip of my my cold brew. Ooh, um, cold brew, huh? Yeah. I like to be lazy when I'm not working and not make coffee, so I buy bottled cold brew usually. Or I make okay. cold brew because cold brew will stay good uh, in the fridge for like a week or more. It doesn't doesn't lose its its taste. Like iced coffee, if you be regular iced coffee, it doesn't taste as good after a certain amount of time. Uh, cold sure. brew mm-hmm. has a lot more shelf life to it. And I can teach you how to make cold brew if you ever want to know. Uh, Actually, I do want to know. All right, so I'll teach well, you. What, what's your recipe? <laughs> so... Um, Let's tangent this. I mean, this this podcast isn't about anything, so it's about everything. That's, that's about <laughs> that's cold brew. Great. So the way I make it, uh, I get a pound of coffee. The the kind that I use currently, which you can play around with what kind you use. I would say if you um if you want to find the kind you like, find something that is less acidic, not no citrusy notes. Like find something that is has more of a like a soft like cocoa-y note to it. So I'm guessing that's going to be something a little more like. African or South some Africans because some African coffees are really good for iced coffee because they have a uh, really pronounced citrus notes um, mm-hmm. like one that uh, that we used to have at Starbucks was Kenya it was great for iced coffee very citrusy very, it was like a not heavy body citrusy like the flavor really comes across well in iced coffee but in cold brew it ends up kind of being too tart um, mm, okay. but one you can get at Starbucks now, uh, called Sirens Blend is what I usually use for cold brew. And I had to bounce around cause there was one that I would use before we stopped carrying it. I switched to an, another one that's actually pretty good that I switched to, but I just, I found myself not liking it for a while. Like my taste buds just changed was uh Guatemala Antigua, which is Latin American coffee. Um, so that's good for it. Sirens Blend is what I'm using right now. Okay. Cause usually I'm, I'm used to South American coffees being, 
a bit more acidic. Yeah, and they typically are, but Guatemala yeah. still works pretty well for it. Um, okay. But so you, uh, you you grind it on course like you would for a French press. Uh, get a, a two-liter pitcher, put half a pound of the coffee in it, and then fill it up to the two-liter line with water. Make sure you're using good water because, as always with coffee, if you're using, like, tap water, it's going to taste like tap water when you're done. Mm-hmm. Um, so you use filtered water, fill it up with the water, let it sit for about 20 hours. Like I let it sit for 20 to 24 hours, just kind of depending on when I can get to the, the point of straining it the next day. Just at room temperature or refrigerated? Yep. Easily right out on your counter. Um, I always, uh, when, after I put the water in, like I use one of those like two liter pitchers where the top like latches on and then it has like the part you pop open to pour from. Okay. Um, so I'll like latch it all up and stuff like that. And then I'll shake it up to make sure the grounds are all wet. Let it sit. When it's done, uh, you need to filter out the coffee now. I have a mesh uh, strainer from years ago when I tried to uh, homebrew beer one time before I learned that I couldn't have gluten anymore and that dream was killed. But it works perfect for doing the first filter of the coffee grounds. So I just literally like put – I have another – a second pitcher and I just put that over and I just start pouring the liquid through a little bit at a time, get the grounds out, toss them to the side, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, like you'd probably throw them in your trash. We actually throw all of our food waste out in the woods. So that way it doesn't stink up our trash. Cause I only go to the dump like once a month. So strain those out. But then if you, if you stop there, it's going to have a lot of like sediment in it still, which is okay. Actually, if you don't mind that, like, um, if you ever French press coffee, you know, the coffee has more sediment left in it. Yeah. But I like my cold brew to be a little bit cleaner. So then what I do, uh, is I have a pour over filter. And uh, I'll throw, you know, put the pour over thing over, like I'll, I'll rinse the first pitcher out so it's clean. Then I'll set the pour over device on top, put a filter in, fill it up with the liquid, let it drain through. And usually I'll toss the filter each time. So I, I end up using like four filters because it basically gets clogged up by the, the sediment. Yeah, because it's all really fine stuff. I, I've, ha- I've run into that. Like, exactly. Uh, what I've made French press, but I don't want it to be gritty at the end. Sometimes I'll run it through a pour over filter, but I find that because what is left is so silty, it ends up clogging up that pour over filter really quickly and easily. Yeah. Plus you're kind of defeating the purpose of a French press if you do that, because like the French press allows all the, like the flavor and the oils and everything of the coffee to remain. So by running through the filter, you're, you might as well just do a pour over at that rate. Well, I know that's kind of what I discovered. (laughs) 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 Yeah. So anyways, I mean, that's just about it. So, um, once you strain out all the, the grounds, you should have a little bit more than a liter of the coffee. Um, and this is like concentrated at this point. Uh, so you don't have to worry about perfectly getting every drop of liquid out. Like as long as you end up with about a liter, you're good. And if you like carefully get every drop you can out, you're probably going to end up with like a liter and a quarter. So like, you know, you have a lot of leeway basically. And then just top it off to the two liter line with water and you're set. Cool. Okay. Then you'll have two liters of cold brew. All right. I've tried to make cold brew once, and it did not come out well. And I I don't know what I did wrong, but it was not good. I think maybe I just didn't use enough coffee grounds because it came out extremely watery and weak and not very good. Yeah, I think that's the key is like when you do it right, you get a really strong concentrate that then you cut the concentrate with water. But that's not the same thing as using less coffee and more water because then you end up over extracting the coffee and uh get bad flavors out of it so mm-hmm. yeah i think you know doing it at work uh de- like it still took me a little bit of trial and error but i had the the basics i just had to adjust it for volume basically but anyways got it yeah so I, i'm drinking bottled cold brew because i'm lazy right now and you nice. know it's it's my birthday weekend so i can be i'm drinking a hot pour over coffee myself nice yeah um so back to manga, though. So oh, yeah, yeah, that, that's right. <laughs> we uh, we talked last time about how I was, my mind had gotten opened up to reading manga. I, I have never done more other than reading a couple of specific titles. Like I've read the majority of Lone Wolf and Cub. I still got a little ways to go, but that's, you know, a massive series. So it's, I'm not trying to just pound through it. Um, I've read a chunk of Blade of the Immortal. And I don't think I've read much of anything else, but like before this point. But I read something that made me think about reading manga. I asked for recommendations, got a ton, had fun making like a Twitter tournament, which, of course, um, Akira ended up 
beating out Ghost in the Shell. Uh, so everything went exactly as you would imagine. Okay. No surprises there. But, like, one of the things I found is, like, yes, Akira, I'm sure, is great. Ghost in the Shell, I'm sure, is great. Everybody involved knew from the beginning that those ones were going to win because they weren't going to beat out, like, the smaller, lesser-known titles. Uh, or I, I should I say that backwards. The smaller, lesser-known titles weren't going to beat out, you know, Akira or Ghost in the Shell. Yeah, that's like expecting um, Brazil to beat out Star Wars or something yeah. like that. It's just not going to happen. Exactly. Like, in sports, uh, an underdog can upset a favorite. But in, you know, what is your favorite thing, that's not going to happen because it's just the fact of the matter is the majority of people are going to, you know, pick what they're most familiar with. Um, but in doing it, like, my purpose for it was less to actually see who won so I would know what to get and more to uh, to just get, like, have a reason to, like, continually talk about these things to kind of collect the information because you get, like, 20 recommendations thrown at you. You kind of start losing track of stuff pretty easily. And I knew mm-hmm. it was going to be, like, the smaller outlying things that would probably be the most interesting to me. So in doing all this, I my interest was particularly peaked in uh, a few titles, which I mentioned this last time: uh, King Yo's used books, Wandering Island, um, Drifting Classroom. Uh, one of the ones that had a lot a lot more oomph behind it, as far as like people talking about it, was Berserk, um, which we I believe we talked quite a bit about last time uh, because of you watching the anime. Yeah, you hadn't started reading it yet. I think at that point. But yeah, no, you, and I still have it. I ordered the book. I ordered the book. I got it. I basically looked through the first few pages. But one of the other things that happened is uh, Ed Moore, who he does, I, I believe I talked about him last time a little bit too, but he does an Usagi Ojimbo podcast. He's been one of the ones like recommending some of the lesser known titles. But then like when he would recommend something like, uh, like King Gyo's used books or Wandering Island, and then a, a, another friend, Joe, on Twitter at Iowa's Joe, who he's on a podcast with Mike Myers. Everybody knows Mike Myers, right? So he's on yeah. a podcast with Mike Myers, Kirk, uh, who I'm awful with remembering names off the top of my head, but I'm not going to remember Kirk's last name. Kirk, him, and Rob Krieger, uh, or Krieger. They do one called uh, DC Everything Else. So it's all like the, I guess, like non-superhero DC titles is what they focus on. Um, but anyways, he's really into manga. And so... Ed saying one thing, Kirk is echo or not Kirk, sorry, Joe is echoing it. And the two that stood out to me was Wandering Island and King Gyo's used books. So not the easiest books to find necessarily. So Ed mails me uh, his copies to borrow and read. So here's a big truck going by I'll let this pass. Oh yeah, that's a big one. I can hear it. Yeah, construction truck. They're doing a ton of road work. This is road work season. Um, what I'm hoping is we live right by the fire department. It's uh, about two blocks away from us. Maybe actually like a block away. So during normal operating hours, normal daytime hours, it's almost continuous that we're getting sirens coming and going. It's like every half hour, at least, there is a big siren going by. <laughs> but I'm hoping it's early enough that we won't have to take a siren break. <laughs> so far, so good. <laughs> yeah. Anyhow, so, so Ed sends me a box. Uh, he sends me... Um, those two books that I keep on repeating. And then also uh, three volumes of one called Drifting Dragons. And all these little pieces of people mentioning things start to build up. And you start to get these, um, you get drawn to things, you know. And it's hard to, if, if you're not get like, if you're not brushing across stuff, how does stuff pique your interest, right? So first thing I started reading was Wandering Island. I read both volumes. Um, the first one took me a few days because we were busy. I finished it yesterday, and I read all of the second volume yesterday. Uh, and that that was actually even with being gone most of the day. I, I took my son to a birthday party. He hasn't played with kids, like, since, I don't know, when did all this stuff start? March? March. And so... Yeah, what is it about? So it's about... Um, Basically, a, a young woman and her grandfather have a business delivering packages. They live on an island, so she drives one of those, like, pontoon planes, you know? And um, yeah. to a delivery service. Like, uh, it's a smaller plane, but think, like, tailspin. Like, you're flying everywhere for your deliveries, right? Um, so, like, already, I like the concept. You know, it's it's taking us out like definitely out of any kind of reality that I'm familiar with like you know it's not just a delivery service where you're like you're 
spiking it or driving it or whatever. Like she's she's flying around, you know. So already there's the potential for adventure. Like pretty much right at the beginning of the book, her, her grandpa dies, and he was the one that owned the business with her. So now it's just her business. The talk of uh, the wandering island, which is uh, the it's the uh, referred to as the electric island starts to come up and it's like it's piquing her interest she starts to like realize that basically her grandfather was like hunting for this moving island um she starts talking to people she starts getting obsessed with hunting it down and that's kind of what it's about so the first volume is all her like trying to figure this out talking to different people and it's it's this hunt for this mysterious island so kind of the end of the first volume beginning of the second volume she actually finds it and the second volume, part of the reason I read it so quickly, is there's very, very little dialogue in the entire second volume. Because she finds this island, and the people basically just want her off of it, and almost nobody will talk to her. And she's trying to, like, figure out what's going on, and then she realizes that, like, she can't, she actually has a package to deliver there, but, like, the person she was delivering it to is not there. Um, and then she's trying to figure stuff out. So is it more of a mystery, more of an adventure? I, I'm, I guess I'm, I'm. It's still unclear, like what what the kind of tone is of the book, what what kind of book it is, because that it seems like a a premise that could go multiple ways. I guess a little bit of both. I mean, it's definitely adventure because she's adventuring, trying to find this island. It's a mystery because nobody knows what this island is, and even when she finds it, it's still a mystery because. The people there are being very mysterious and, you know, staying away, not talking to her, trying to, like, shoot her, like, trying to kill her, even, get her off the island. So closer to Lost than to Gilligan's Island? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I would say that. Um, uh, it, it is a little hard to say exactly what it is, but I loved it. And there's only these two volumes out. Um, it's not the easiest book to find, but, like, if you wanted to get it, you could definitely find it. I know you could buy at least the second volume on Amazon. Then you could probably go on eBay and buy the first volume for about cover price. I was glad that Ed sent these to me because it gave me a chance to to try them. And I honestly like I would like to get these uh, before they get harder to find. And I don't really know how that goes with uh, you know with uh, manga manga. Um, yeah, I have no idea. Like how quickly does stuff get difficult to find? Like I mean stuff like berserk is being printed like crazy like you can always find that stuff right i um, think it really depends on how how big it is because one thing that i had recommended to you was the project x the instant noodle cup book i looked that up and it looks like it's out of print and now this little book will sell for like 60 or 70 bucks yeah. or at least that's the price that people are offering it for i don't know if it actually sells for that much which seems crazy because it's it's not worth that much from the perspective of like the quality of the story or the impact of the story had it, you know as a collectible it's it's not really worth it i don't think like it's it's a case where you have to pay collectible prices for something that just wasn't printed that much and widely distributed because it's out of print now yeah yeah and you know like looking around at bookstores that's one thing that i did kind of um so yesterday was my birthday but i i knew that i was going to be busy for a chunk of the day taking my son to uh, a birthday party like i said he, he's hardly seen kids it, it was a family that um the reason he got invited as is, is actually um he was on a video call with uh with the the kid whose birthday it was for like their their math program over the summer um they're doing video calls with their teacher and the kid invited him. So then his mom messaged me like, yeah, my son invited your son. So you, you are welcome to come. Um, and I was like, well, you know, I'll talk to my wife about it. We've been really, you know, conservative with everything with, with Corona. And she said, you know, and I like I've known her and I know that she's more cautious about everything. So she said same thing. Like they've pretty much been keeping to themselves. And, you know, it was a pretty small party and everything and pretty much family. So we decided mm -hmm. to take him and he had a ball. But like I was I ended up being there for freaking five hours. So you, you were good dadding it. Yes, I was. Being I was good, yes. sacrificing my birthday for the opportunity. Uh, but knowing that, we, we kind of spent Friday going around doing stuff that was more what I wanted to do and us getting out as a family. Uh, but we went to three different stores where I was able to like look at what manga they had to offer. And like the one thing that struck me is I have all these titles in my head that I want. They're not very easy to find. And what was really, really easy to find is all this stuff that's the... Um, Fruit baskets and... <laughs> yeah, like the... 
re- really popular like the the manga that is it's less about like I'm a creator and I want to make this story and more about we publish this weekly forever because it makes money you know and it's not to say that the stories aren't good or whatever but there's a very different there are very different types of stories you get out of those things you know the the one pieces and stuff like that yeah exactly so and mm-hmm. I, I, I haven't dabbled in that stuff too much but I mean that's kind of the reason I never got into manga is that's not the stuff that appeals to me uh, you know, like even reading Death Note, it has a very different feel because, I mean, Death Note was massive because it was published for a very long time because it was published, I believe, more in that vein rather than, you know, being a smaller, more concise story, I guess. Yeah, I, it, it feels like it because I know I read like 10 volumes of Death Note. I don't know if it continued past then, but I know it went at least that long. Yeah, it's it's pretty dang long, so... Yeah, so like I'm, I'm, I'm. I guess I'm getting like my, you know, my sea legs with figuring out how to even approach what I might like, how to shop for stuff. Yeah. So, anyways, Ed sent me those. I read Wandering Island. Absolutely loved it. I would like to grab the volumes while I can still find them at some point. I can't right now because I've spent too much money already for my birthday. <laughs> um, <laughs> All right. I started today reading King Yo's used books. Um, I definitely think I liked Wandering Island a little bit more than it right off but it's it's very interesting because it's about a used manga bookstore and it's about manga basically so like i read the first chapter and this guy's like walking down the street and sees the store and like just kind of goes in you know the 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 lady working there is you know giving him customer service whatever you know she asked if he was looking for anything in particular he said no actually i want i want to know if you bought used books because I have a ton of manga that's built up, and I'm not going to read it ever again. I'm not a kid anymore. You know, basically, he's he's knocking manga, and he just wants to get rid of it. Like, oh, this is just childish stuff. It's not really worthwhile. So it's kind of funny, because she, like, shuts him up, and she's like, shut up. You don't, you don't want the person in the back room to hear you insulting manga. He doesn't take it well. And she's like, she gets, she gets him to shut up and then says, okay, do you want us to come to your house to, to get it? Or do you want to bring it in? And he says, no, I'll bring it in. So then he goes home and he's digging through, like trying to get all his manga together. And he, he comes across some unopened mail and his high school reunions coming up. So he, uh, or his school reunion, whatever. And so he, he gets together with his old classmates and they're kind of reminiscing and stuff and then one of them returns a volume of manga to him that she had borrowed when they were kids and it kind of opens up these memories they all start talking about manga they all start like remembering things so after like all this kind of reminiscing and stuff he brings them all to that used bookstore and then they're all just like going nuts looking at everything and that's kind of where that little story ended the the first chapter in it and it like it was it was really good it like I, I really enjoy the fact that this this book about a manga bookstore that's about manga books starts out with this chapter that is just about reminiscing about manga books and about like getting over our like hangups about like what we should or should not enjoy depending on our age and stuff like that. Hmm. Um, so yeah, so cool. like I have I think four volumes of that t- that uh, he let me to read. What's interesting about that is I think that with Japanese manga, there's a lot more types of stories that they tell like American comics tend to be all kind of similar in the somewhere, somewhere in the range of like superhero to genre fiction of, you know, mystery, thriller, sci-fi fantasy to superhero in that kind of range. But manga, yeah, they'll, they'll have one about, Hey, let's talk about these people that sell manga in a bookstore. And, I know, like, one of my guilty pleasures is Gundam. Uh-huh. Um, I really like Gundam anime and model kits and, and just the big robots because I, I think they're cool. And uh, But one of the Gundam series is about kids who build Gundam kits and, like, compete in Gundam kit-building competitions. And <laughs> that's that's kind of strange that it's kind of spilled off in this way that like what is becomes an acceptable show or comic or something can be something like that. Like, let's just show people being a fan of this thing. That is this thing. It's, it's kind of weirdly, um, it's almost like an inception, like a comic in a comic or something like a comic yeah. about comics, but not, 
like in some uh, metaphorical way, but just literally, it'd be like a, a comic about getting your friends to go to your comic shop with you and everyone being excited to see Superman comics again or something like that. Like yeah. that just is kind of unheard of in uh, Western comics. So it's, it's, I just always think it's interesting to see the types of stories that come out of that Japanese uh, imagination and the Japanese just story making. I mean, it's sort of like, I think what feels good about it to me is it's sort of like being honest about what really matters to us or like being honest about our, our emotions. Like it's being in tune with ourselves and to have, um, something that you read actually like represent that and like, you know, tell the story of what it's like to be in tune with what matters to you. You know, um, mm -hmm. we've talked before about, uh, you know, the pitfalls of collecting and how you get, you, know, you get hooked into it. It takes a lot of introspection to really, like, really have balance with what you're doing. You know, you're not buying stuff just to buy it. You're not watching stuff just because you have to watch every last thing of this thing to understand like why these things matter to you. Like you really got to, you know, open yourself up a little bit and, you know, be a little risky with looking at yourself. And so I've been reading a, a book, about, like you said, reading a, a comic about going to a comic shop and loving comics. If you really love comics, there's going to be a lot of that that resonates with you. And it's just, it's, um, it's, uh, emotionally soothing, I guess, like to have something that's just like, yes, like that, that is what I feel, you know? It's just so simple, but it, like it just it feels nice to have it. Uh, I don't know, supported, reiterated, uh, represented. Mm, interesting. That's cool. The last one he sent me, which is funny because I actually ended up buying the first two volumes and I haven't read it yet, is Drifting Dragons, and that's one that caught my attention more because I think through doing all what I was doing, I started getting. Um, other people more, you know, thinking more about manga and sharing stuff on, on Twitter. And, uh, Joe, who I mentioned shared some covers from drifting dragons and the art was just like, Oh my goodness, that looks good. Like I really wanted it. So one of the places that we went, uh, yesterday or a couple days ago now was this, uh, it's called Newbury comics. Like it was a comic shop that's turned into basically like comics is kind of the uh, yeah. smallest section of the shop. Um, I've been to a Newbury comics in Boston. Yeah. Yeah. They, they're, they, that's like kind of where they started. They got one in yeah. Maine in, in the mall. And, um, like it's, it's now it's a, a big, like kind of a big geek culture store. So, I mean, they, they got, they got comics, they got, you know, manga, but they got a ton of clothes, a ton of collectibles, ton of pop vinyl it's like really it's like hot topic but less goth more nerd it's kind stuff. of like what things from another world was that's kind of what i remember okay yeah if i don't know if you ever had went to one of those shops but back when they actually had physical stores there was a things from another world that was my local comic shop because it was halfway between where i worked and where i lived in san francisco it was like literally on my way home so it was the perfect store for me, but it was a lot like that. Is yeah. it was focused on comics, but they had T-shirts, they had toys, they had other stuff as well. the The comics wasn't the entire store; it was just um, maybe thirty percent of the store, something yeah. like that. Forty percent of the store. Yeah, it's kind of new. And Newberry Comics has shifted a little further away from comics than that. Even like I would say, comics now is maybe a, a like ten percent, maybe twenty at the oh. most of the store. Okay. Mm -hmm. Um, but the people that work there, if you ask them tend to know at least, you know, enough to hold a real conversation and like direct you to stuff. Um, but like everything is still centered around comic culture, you know I mean? For the most part, like, uh, it's all the, you know, th that type of stuff anyways. But, um, they, they'll always have, uh, books going on, on clearance, you know, graphic novels, manga, whatever. I've never, like, I just started looking at manga, basically. Like, I never had looked before. And so I looked through, and I found uh, the first two volumes of Drifting Dragons on Markdown for only eight bucks each. So I hadn't read them yet, but I said, you know what? I'm just going to grab these, because just looking at the artwork, I think I'm going to like it. And with the recommendations they've got, like, I'm pretty sure I'm going to like it. So there's a third volume of it out, which Ed actually sent me that also. So I like, I still can't send his stuff back until I read all three volumes. But yeah, so those are the first three that I've kind of started on. I, I bought the 
first big volume of Berserk. It's a like the hardcover deluxe one. So it's like three, you know, trade paperbacks of it. So mm-hmm. I've got that to read. Um, I requested Akira and Ghost in the Shell from the library. So like when those come in, I'll have those to check out. Um, but yeah, it's just, it's been a ball having this like whole new area of, of stuff to check out. And it's, it's been exciting. And, um, I haven't felt like this about comics in a long time. Cause I kind of tapped out all that unexplored territory with comics. One of the things I, I kind of see myself doing is continually dipping into the same stuff instead of spreading out in comics because there's not that much to spread out to. Wait, you, this is you you saying that this was a pattern you found yourself getting into with comics was dipping into the same stuff? Yeah, like now it's like, okay, I remember when I first started reading comics and everything was new and exciting. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And eventually you've tried enough stuff that you start getting tired of like reaching further and further for things that might be new and interesting because they're there, but it just like you've tapped out like the really approachable stuff or the stuff that's easy to find or the stuff that like really interests you after a certain amount of time you just you can't help it that happens mm-hmm. and that's where stumbling across the book that kind of opened me up to manga was uh i mentioned this last week is black hole by charles burns if i remember his name correctly i said i was gonna look that up but i didn't it was just so different and i only even read it because i kept on seeing it in bookstores and then somebody recommended it on twitter and it got seconded by somebody else and I said, okay, I'm going to give this a shot, you know, and I got it for like 14 bucks. So yeah, it's like, it gets hard to keep on trying to dig deep. So like, what do you end up doing? Like kind of like you've been focusing on reading the X-Men. I've been focusing Mm -hmm. on reading the X-Men for some time. That's why I've been focusing on collecting. And it's just like, I, I've gotten tired of like trying to reach out and find new stuff. So it's kind of like narrow in on like American comics, I guess, superhero comics. So what I know I really like, and I have this whole new unexplored territory in manga that, you know, allows me to branch out and find new things. Got it. Yeah. It's funny you mentioned my reading the X-Men. It's kind of, I think I'm going to put it on pause after I finish up with Age of Apocalypse. Because in a lot of ways, when uh, I started this in giant read-through, my goal was to get to Age of, of Apocalypse because I had always heard that Age of Apocalypse is one of the quintessential classic X-Men stories like, of all time, that it's up there with other really great X-Men stories like Dark Phoenix Saga or Days of Future Past. And so I was always very curious about it along those lines. And I didn't just want to jump into it and read it because I had never read the stuff for like the about the preceding four years of comics. And I just, I wanted to get to it naturally. And I'm really glad I did because I think Age of Apocalypse is one of these stories that you can enjoy on many, many levels. I think it's possible to just read it on the surface level of what it is. Like, oh, these are neat characters. Like you had mentioned that Age of Apocalypse was the first story that you read with X-Men. Yeah. (laughs) And I think it's approachable and enjoyable along those lines in that um, you can just open it up, figure out who these characters are, who the good guys are, who the bad guys are, what their characters are, what the situation is, and enjoy it purely just on the what is the story being told level. And I think it's an interesting enough story to really capture things on that level. But coming into it knowing the entire history and knowing that essentially this is a version of the world where 10 years in the fictional past things took a drastic swerve from the direction that they were going so it also means that things that were true 10 years ago like it was true in both fictions so um if you go back to like 20 years in any character's past, that element is still the same. So it's, it has the same starting point for all these characters before things developed with the X-Men. And so seeing how these same characters like Wolverine, he still went through the weapon X program. He still has his adamantium claws. All of that is still true, but then what happens once the X-Men are formed, his story starts to swerve in a different direction. And so knowing that and uh, 
is adds another layer of interest to this story. Seeing how like different these versions of the characters are are from the standard versions of the characters is really interesting because it brings up questions about well what makes somebody good or bad and the summers brothers are all evil they're all like evil agents of mr sinister in age of apocalypse which is totally different from the x-men where they are like the quintessential x-men leaders and of of havoc and cyclops are kind of like especially in the 90s they're the guys like one of them leads the x-men the other leads x-factor and so seeing them as the the henchmen is is interesting because it's kind of points out this idea of what happens to you in your past can really shape how you come out in the future and so seeing some characters having similar morals to what they have in the regular x-men universe but some characters being drastically different, it just kind of, it plays with these questions about how much of a person's character is innate to who they are versus how much of it can be molded and how much do outside events influence somebody's course of life? Like, do you end up being, you know, being a character who is always going to kind of move in the same direction regardless of the the events that push on you this way or that or are you going to follow the river and let the course of events really push you in drastically different ways and some characters fall in category a some in category b so i'm really really glad that i read up to age of apocalypse organically because i feel like i'm enjoying this story on multiple levels all at the same time uh, that I wouldn't necessarily if I had just decided five or ten years ago, whatever it was, that I just wanted to read Age of Apocalypse now and not build up to it and read all of the X-Men that came before. Yeah, you know, a lot of your points are really interesting, too, from where I read that before I read much other stuff. I mean, I read a little bit of other stuff, but um, I definitely, like, I did not read up to it organically. Um, and I didn't go back and read, like, going back to kind of the beginning of, you know, giant size 94 whatever the the relaunch of the x-men until mm-hmm. way afterwards so i always had the impression of havoc as being more of a somebody with a tendency to be bad and i think that's because i read age of apocalypse pretty early and havoc was bad in that and then like other stuff i had seen him in, he was always like conflicted at best so reading from the beginning of claremont's run through and seeing Havoc as more of a leader was kind of confusing at first because, like, I, I had never seen him in that light before. You know, what you said about uh, are people going to be, like, innately good or is what's going on around them could kind of change their direction? Like, the Summers Brothers are a great example where, like, you just think of Cyclops as a leader and as good, but he, like, his personality is once he decides something is good or bad the right thing to do or not, he follows that path and he doesn't question it. It's like, he's kind of like a good soldier mentality. Yeah. You know, and that mm-hmm. is, it, it, I mean, it's really, you know, illustrating that that is a mentality that can lead you very deep down a wrong path based off of one fork in the road. If you never question which fork you took, you're just going to keep on going down the wrong path. If that, if that's one that you chose. And when you make the choice, it doesn't necessarily seem like a choice between right or wrong, good or bad. It's a small choice. And they ended up being, you know, minions of Sinister based on the the strengths that they had that made them leaders at other points of, you know, of the X-Men. But it, yeah, it points out, though, in, in a way, the flip side is that in the regular universe, they were... And this is a terrible way to put it, but minions of Xavier. Yeah, it's exactly it. Like, okay, this this is what's right. This is what we do. It's just that we look at as as Xavier and his team as the quote unquote good guys. So it they don't seem like minions because good guys don't have minions; they have teammates. <laughs> For you know, yeah, that's pretty much it. You know, like that's why those are the characters. Like, it's always funny when somebody says that like Cyclops is their favorite character, and you can go to you know, pretty much any like team based book. And there's, there's probably a character like that. Like with the Ninja Turtles, it'd be Leonardo. The one that never questions the master's directions. Like there are some people who are drawn to those characters. 
but when the, the you start to add complexity to the story and you start to play with like what that can mean in a negative sense, like that those aren't very good characters to, you know, model yourself after when you just are blindly following stuff. That's why like I've I've never particularly liked Cyclops. I've read now through a very large chunk of Claremont's run. I think I'm around two sixty five or something like that. And uh I don't like Cyclops. Or even early on, like uh he's like uh earlier on when there he he was less conflicted, he was easier he to just like seems like the Boy Scout. Yeah, he was just way, the though. Boy Scout. He was a goody two shoes, but like you can respect that, you know, to an extent. But like as things go on, like I mean we talked about this before, but I loved Wolverine as his character got developed because he was always just getting crapped on by everybody. And when he finally was like, look, shut your mouth. You don't know what you're talking about. You've never had to make these choices. You don't know what making choices like this means. I loved that. That was one of my favorite points. Because, I mean, it's, it's always been true. Like, he's had to make the cho- choices between good and bad and do bad things because it's the better choice for, like, fighting against what's wrong or not. And the other ones haven't had to. And Cyclops so much will not make that choice that he will stubbornly go down the path of what's wrong just to not choose the the wrong choice on the surface level. I guess I have a one question is, have you been reading X-Factor as well? No, um, I ha- I've, I've been sticking just with X-Men. Like, X-Factor is something I want to read a little bit. I believe at one point when I still had uh, Marvel Unlimited, I, I tried reading the first issue and just was not really interested at the time. Oh, uh, the, the first few issues are not good. It, it's like regurgitation of silver age stuff okay that's that's good to know that'll give me some (laughs) yeah the the first i'd forget how much it is but like six to ten issues are just it it feels like reading a silver age comic it's not until um i think louise simonson starts writing it around issue 10 or so and that's when it really starts to take off and be its own thing and it brings in other interesting characters, but it also plays a lot with this what's going on between Cyclops and Jean. Because when X-Factor starts, Jean Grey is just found to be alive again. And this is also leading up to Inferno. Because, like, technically, Scott's still married to Madeline Pryor, mm-hmm. I think. Yeah. So reading X-Factor also in the lead up to Inferno makes Inferno a much more interesting story. It adds just so much more complexity and depth, especially to everything that goes on with between Madeline Pryor, Jean Grey, and Scott during that. And I used to feel pretty similarly as you do about Cyclops, but I'm starting to come around. Like, he was always one of my least favorite X-Men, and I was always kind of like, okay, like his character is that he's the leader and that is his character. And he doesn't seem to really have much more than that because I was reading X-Men as a kid around the time of Jim Lee. And especially like when the adjective list X-Men start up the whole blue team, gold team era, Cyclops was just kind of like the dude in charge. And that was about it. But reading more, I see him as somebody who has experienced trauma after trauma his parents blew up on an airplane after throwing him and his brother out with a single parachute to try to survive he then finds out oh wait no my father has been alive this whole time out in space being a buccaneer and never told me that then takes what he thought was his relationship with his parents and throws it on its head in a weird way And then he falls in love with Jean Grey. Jean Grey turns into a horrific evil monster, ends up sacrificing herself right in front of his eyes. He leaves. He falls in love with Madeline Pryor. They have a son. The son is disappears. Madeline disappears. She thinks he thinks she's dead. Uh, she turns into uh, the evil goblin queen and tries to bring hell to earth almost literally and sacrifice their son so then she has to die his 
Jean Grey, who he thought was dead, comes back. He has no idea how to, like, handle this and deal with it. And then Madeline Pryor dies. He gets his son back, but then his son is infected with a, a virus by Apocalypse and has to be taken away to an unknown future that he has no idea about. And it's just this insane thing after insane thing happens to him that would be almost any one of these things would be unbearable for anybody to deal with emotionally it's just so traumatic but his only refuge is the x-men and that is his like solace and that's how he deals with this continual traumas that he's going through is by being the leader of the x-men and by putting that aside and and having the x-men is the thing that like allows him to stay like centered and focused and anchored in the world and not just lose his mind to all these um, emotional devastating things that have happened to him in his life. So having read all of this up to age of apocalypse, I see him more in, in that light. So he's, he's kind of a character about, both how to deal with trauma, how to avoid trauma, and the pitfalls that come with both. And I think that he's his is a little more subtle, his character, but really, really interesting now in retrospect in a way that I, I didn't ever recognize before I started this big giant read-through of everything. Interesting. So, like, having focus... And I, I did read the X-Factor crossovers that were part of Inferno because I read, like, a trade that had all of it. Um, mm -hmm. But I didn't read the X Factor leading up to that, so you didn't really get the character exploration of Scott as much as just like the meat of the the action. But in reading just the X Men, it's like you start out, you know, at the beginning of Claremont's run, and he's the leader, and he's the one that just is basically always crapping on Wolverine, you know. He's, yeah, he's the true believer, kind of. Yeah, he's he he's he is like kind of similar to how he is with Sinister, the almost brainwashed Boy Scout. Like, I believe in this, so help me God, and yeah. I'm gonna do it. No and I mean, at that what, point, yeah. he had the conflict in his past of his parents dying. But like at that point, like he's the guy. I'm in charge. I got the girlfriend. You're just a little jerk, you know, picking on Wolverine basically. So like he sets himself up to just be a jerk. As soon as he has any kind of conflict. He keeps running away. Like, that's what he does yes. earlier on. He runs away. He keeps on running away, leaving the team, running away. Uh, he has, you know, the fight with Storm, where Storm, without powers, beats him to take leadership of the X-Men after he had disappeared and then returned again. And he just walks away again. That's, that's just that's what he keeps doing. He, I'm just going to leave. I'm just going to leave. He just keeps on walking away from anything that's conflict because stuff is hard instead of actually, like, staying there working through it. So, obviously, not reading X-Factor you don't get to see him working through it when he's away. I mean, so I've read up to the point that I've read right now, uh, mm. which is like just barely after Inferno. So, I mean, there's, there's a lot more reading to go to catch up to like years later when I started reading, um, which is right after schism. Um, so I've gone back and read, you know, schism where like he and Wolverine fought and they split ways um, oh yeah, that's like twenty years of X Men yeah, between huge, those huge two points. Huge chunk there, uh, which includes the '90s, which is probably why I haven't read it, and the early 2000s, which looked pretty awful. You know, the <laughs> '90s is good. I'm going to go out and say '90s X Men is really good. I think it's as good as Claremont X Men in its own way. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I definitely have faith in the Claremont stuff, and I think uh, as just like as far as 90s comics as a whole, 90s X-Men is going to like I'm looking forward to getting into that. I think it's more like late 90s, early 2000s when yeah. Claremont is off okay. of it and when mm -hmm. art starts like you can see the era where like digital arts art tools start to become available and the art in my opinion gets really really crappy because these artists get these new tools to play with and they're it basically looks like they're all taking the 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 easy way out on stuff playing with filters and stuff like that instead of like they haven't like broken down how to use the tools yet i mean just the the novelty of it is enough to make it have seemed appealing at the time but yeah mm -hmm. i know what you mean yeah, yeah it, it's it's very obvious in like the mid 90s the coloring just gets weird for a while yeah, yeah. in a way that is 
it was probably really cool in the 90s when you'd never seen anything like that, but now it just looks jarring and strange. It looks awful. Um, <laughs> so it was interesting, before COVID even happened, uh, my, my shop I was going to locally was closing down, and uh, I had planned to collect X-Men from 94 to 300, but I didn't really expect to keep going from there. But then the day he was closing, I went, I bought some stuff, like he's just trying to clear stuff out. While I was there buying stuff, somebody called, and they wanted to drop off something like a dozen long boxes of comics. Just give them to him to sell. So he says, wow. just drop them off as soon as you can so I can try to actually sell them before the end of the day. So I, I heard him on the phone having this conversation. So, so I said, hey, send me a message when you get them in. I'll come back and look at them. So I ended up buying like another, I think, three or four long boxes for like 20 bucks a piece. And I got one of them was all X-Men from like 300 plus wow cool i haven't gone through and broken down a list of what i need to complete that run but i got the majority of it so going through as i was going through and like rebagging and boarding everything once i decided to keep these comics instead of just flipping them i'm like okay this stuff looks good this stuff looks good then i start to get to that era i'm like oh my goodness this looks awful do i really want to keep these and i keep going oh this is bad this is bad this is bad and i go finally i go on a ways i start getting later on I'm like okay this is actually starting to look good again I realized that that really, really awful looking era probably wasn't as big as I thought it was. I probably just kept on running across the same comics so much because that was the era where stuff was overprinted. And, you know, like when, when you see like the same crappy looking stuff over and over, like it feels a lot bigger than it is. But mm -hmm. anyways, that's a tangent from like you jump to like schism, which leads into the two different X-Men groups which leads into Avengers versus X-Men, which leads into Cyclops becoming a bad guy. And I kind of stopped reading after Avengers versus X-Men because I got tired of all of the the Marvel events that never really actually paid off. Yeah, I, I dropped off uh, right around Schism, yeah. I think. Yeah. But yeah, so I mean, like, I have this huge gap in the middle there, but it's basically like early on, Cyclops just seems like a wuss that runs away when things get too hard. To later on, to Cyclops's a big jerk that becomes a bad guy and, you know, like is too obsessed with this one idea of what he thinks is right. So I, I look forward to exploring more of what you're talking about and uh, getting a little more depth to Cyclops's character. Yeah. Cause right now my view is that Cyclops is one of the quintessential X-Men and that he is, if you had to boil down what X-Men is about, I think that he's one of the characters you have to include in that to really kind of highlight what the X-Men is all about. I think that you've got Cyclops, Jean Grey, and Wolverine is one of the things that X-Men is all about and who their characters are and what, what all that is uh, about. Storm is also kind of personifies what the X-Men is all about in a lot of ways. This is interesting. I, I This is the first time I've actually had this thought, so I'm kind of like saying this as I'm thinking about it. So I'm not exactly sure who, who else I would include in that, but I would definitely include um, Cyclops as one of the quintessential X-Men and one of the most required X-Men in terms of telling the story about what X-Men is and what it's all about. Yeah, he's sort of like the the North Star. He's like the the one piece that is constant in a way, and he's not as polarizing as some other characters. Have you ever played uh, Super Mario Brothers 2? Yeah, sure. So you can select to play as Mario, Luigi, Princess, or Toad. Mm -hmm. Nobody picks Mario because he's the one that is a little bit like everybody. He's not as, as fast as Toad. He can't jump as high as Luigi. He can't float like the princess. But he's, yeah. he's balanced. You choose the other ones because you're more drawn to one of the extremes. I don't know who chooses Toad, like who needs to pick up plants really quickly. But Yeah, I, I always chose the princess because yeah, she could fly. Princess because she can <laughs> float. Or Luigi because he could jump higher and makes it easier to get around. Like Those are the ones that you tend to choose because they have better extremes. It's kind of like that when you look at the characters in the X-Men. Uh, people aren't going to be prone to choose the, the guy who is trying to stay more centered. Yes, and that's that's what Cyclops is all about, is that even the, when the world around him is becoming extreme, trying to remain unextreme personally about it, which is in itself really interesting. 
right? Yeah, and it's a harder thing to do too because you're sacrificing a lot to to do that, and nobody is going to recognize or appreciate those kind of sacrifices. People appreciate the extreme yes. sacrifices, not the I am consistently not doing what I want because there needs to be some kind of order and balance to things. And I think that's why when there was what seemed like a kind of a heel turn at the time when um, Cyclops dumped Jean Grey and went with the White Queen and developed a relationship with Emma Frost, it seemed kind of uh, strange. But I think that Emma Frost sees that thing about Scott, how he's continually working hard to be unextreme in the face of extreme situations. And that's a thing that isn't really easily recognized, but Emma Frost, uh, who is, I think, kind of similar. She is very remains very unemotional on her outside and tries to remain very steady and true to what she thinks is right, even in the face of extreme situations. I think that she's able to recognize that in Scott. So looking at it from that lens, I think that that made a lot more sense to me now in retrospect than it did when I first read it 20 years ago. I just had the revealing thought that uh, Scott is like Brett the Hitman Hart. You're going to have to explain that one a little (laughs) bit to me because I know who Brett the Hitman Hart is, but I don't know the ins and outs of the storylines of wrestling. So Brett Hart is is my favorite wrestler, uh, and I loved him because he, he was the best. Like, you watch him wrestle. He has great matches. He makes everybody else better. Like, he does all those things, like, uh, I guess you'd say behind the scenes. Um, he does the things that make his opponents better to make, to get the best out of them, to make the match the best it can be. So it's a lot of sacrifice. Like, in professional wrestling, you're sacrificing to make the people you're going up against better. It's not the other way around. It's not that you're better for them, so it makes you look better. When you're better, you make them look better. And if you do it well, nobody knows it, you know? Mm, um, interesting. So he, he is great and he's he's always been my favorite and when i started getting out of wrestling was uh when the the attitude era started so you have stone cold steve austin who's a jerk he's a bad guy he's the one you know flipping everybody off and you know just like a bad character but he gets popular because people want that edginess they don't want the consistent they want the edginess, you know? They want the, the stuff that's more out there, more polarizing. Uh, so Stone Cold Steve Austin starts to become popular, and that starts to turn on Bret Hart. So just like as a kid, like I'm like, okay, I'm not digging the storyline. Like I want to root for my hero to still be my hero, and now he's the bad guy because the bad guy is the good guy because he's bad. So, you know, as a kid, I was like, okay, this is already starting to lose me a little bit. But that's kind of like what... what uh, what Cyclops is, you know, like he's consistently trying to do the things that keep things in the right place, but that nobody appreciates that does not make him look cool, but he still wants to do the right thing. That's a hard thing to do. Cool. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. That's a nice realization. But I still don't like Cyclops. (laughs) (laughs) You'll get there. Well, with with more X-Men reading, you'll get there. Yeah, Though, playing with the character goes like I mentioned the Ninja Turtles and Leonardo uh, in the IEW run. They, that's what they've done a lot of. He was the one that got uh, brainwashed by Shredder and became Shredder's tune-in. So like he's the one that that was turned bad for a time, even if it's because he was brainwashed. And you know, as it's gone on um, and stuff's gotten crazier, like he's the one that had to start questioning the leadership of Splinter at a certain point. And you got to get to the point of playing with those things to, to like get past the, I'm just trying to do the right thing. I'm just trying to do the right thing. But then like you get to that point and then it's really interesting story. Interesting. Yeah. What I was going to say at like the very beginning of this, which led into all of this uh, is I think that once age of apocalypse is over and I'm done with that, I'm going to take a break from X-Men for a while and read some other stuff because I feel like in a lot of ways, my overall, the breadth of my comic book reading has taken a bit of a dive because I have been reading X-Men so continuously. And there's a lot of stuff that I have that I want to read. So I think that it's it's time to put X-Men aside for a while 
come back to it in, I don't know, six months or so. But in the meantime, read a lot of other stuff and catch up on a lot of other stuff that I've wanted to read, but haven't quite had the time for. I feel you there. Like I, that's kind of what I do with the X-Men is I'll pound through for a while. And then like I, I've read maybe a couple of issues in the last six months or so in trying to do my read through, just kind of, you know, had done a bunch and then stalled up and realized that that wasn't what I wanted to read. And now, now suddenly I'm reading manga. So there you go. Cool. All right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, maybe that's the right note to end on here for this episode. Sounds good to me. Awesome. Well, hey, everybody. Thank you, as always, for listening. I know you can find my friend Paul here on Twitter at Who's Paul. That's W-H-O-S, no apostrophe, because it's Twitter, and Paul. And you can find me on Twitter at Bad Deacon. I think that we would love for you to drop us a line and say hello and let us know what you're reading or just how your day's going. Yeah, so far podcast has been like 40% X-Men. Now that you're stopping your uh, massive read-through, uh, it'll probably shift a little bit. I'm actually, I'm hoping so. I, I do. I want it to be, I want the X-Men to be less about just what I'm doing with my comic book reading life in general. So I want to read some non-X-Men stuff. So... I think it'll probably remain 40% comics, but not 40% X-Men. That may be the the shape of things to come. Sounds good to me. Cool. Well, uh, thanks, Paul. It's good to talk to you for a bit. Good talking to you, too. Happy birthday to me. Now I'm going to read some manga. Happy birthday to Paul. All right. And to all you listeners, we'll talk to you later. Mm-hmm.